This program is made possible by the friends and partners of Unspeakable Joy. Turn to the book of Judges today, chapter number 8. Chapter number 9, let's remain standing for the reading of the Word of God. The book of Judges, chapter number 8, I want you to look in verse number 30. This morning my message is entitled, God's Solution for These Mass Shootings. It's amazing to me how many people went to church today to play. They went to church today not looking for real truth, not looking for real answers. They just went to check something off the box. I didn't come to check anything off the box. I didn't come today to to impress anybody. I didn't come today because it's going to make me more popular. In fact, this is libel. Y'all know what that means. This is libel to make me less popular. And I'm telling you some of the things that you're going to find in this passage There's going to be people in the house that it'll chap. But at some point, somebody needs to tell somebody the truth. The Bible says in the book of Judges chapter 8 and verse number 30. Judges 8 and 30, And Gideon had threescore and ten sons of his body begotten, It means he had 70 sons that he was the father of. For he had many wives. Verse number 31. And his concubine that was in Shechem. She also bare him a son whose name was Abimelech. Now a concubine in the Bible would be what you and I would think of as a live-in. They were together but she had no legal rights. And therefore, her children were always treated like second-hand children. How many of you know that'll produce a problem when children are not treated the same in the same house? So that's what you've got going on. Now flip over to chapter 9, and I want you to look in verse number. Let's look in verse number... I don't want to read the whole thing. Let's read verse number 1. And Abimelech, the son of Jerubel, that's Gideon, that's another name for Gideon, he went to Shechem unto his mother's brethren and communed with them and with all the family of the house of his mother's family, saying, Speak, I pray you, in the ears of all the men of Shechem, whether it is better for you, either that all the sons of Jerubel, which are threescore and seventy persons reign over you, or that one reign over you. Now I want you to notice what happens in verse number four. And they gave him threescore and ten pieces of silver out of the house of Baal Berith, wherewith Abimelech hired vain and light persons which followed him. Verse five, and he went unto his father's house at Ophrah, and slew his brethren, the sons of Jerubel, being threescore and ten persons upon one stone. You know what that is? That's the first event of mass violence in the Bible, where in one incident, 70 people are gone. 
Just like that, you be seated. Heavenly Father, I need thee every hire, most gracious Lord. No tender voice like thine can be supported. I need thee. Oh, I need thee. Every hour I need thee, but especially now. Feel me from the top of my head to the bottom of my feet. Set angels as door watchmen at the posts of my lips. Don't let anything come out that shouldn't come out. Don't let anything stay in my heart that needs to come out. And I'll bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm aware this morning that there's a lot of people in this church that grew up in church, grew up around church, and so you're familiar with a lot of the stories of the Bible. But I'm also aware that there's probably just as many people that are new to church and getting back into church, and you're not as familiar with the stories in the Bible. The book of Judges is probably one of the darkest books in all of the Scripture. It is ruled by this phrase, There was no king in those days, and every man did that which was right in his own eyes. That means there was nobody that was saying and enforcing right and wrong. Therefore, everybody just did whatever they thought was right or wrong. You come to chapter number 8 and you come to chapter number 9 and we meet this man whose name was Gideon. And Gideon was that, that, that judge, that leader, that deliverer that God used to rescue the people of God from the Midianites. And man, it was so powerful and wonderful and so absolutely awesome that the people made Gideon king or their leader. Well, the time comes, Gideon gets old and he dies. And when he dies, as it normally happened, the Bible says, and they remembered not the Lord God. You know what that means? A righteous man dies, and when a righteous man dies, people are going to all of us all and automatically go back to their old ways, and that's exactly what happens. He's got 70 sons because he has many wives, but he's got this one boy whose name is Abimelech, and Abimelech is the son of his concubine or his living, and this boy is evidently treated differently than everybody else, and all of a sudden when Gideon dies, this is what he says. He he goes down to his brethren down at Shechem, his, fa- his mama's people down there, and says this. He says, isn't it going to be better if I am in charge rather than everybody else? You know what that is? That's division. Anytime somebody comes to divide you from your brothers and your brethren, they are not from God, they are from the devil. That's how you know politicians are not born again. You know why? A real politician will bring together. But what you've got going on right now in our nation is one side wanting you to go to their side and another. I can tell y'all going to get chapped this morning. You may as well get you some bliss sticks and put it right now. It's going to get ugly before it gets pretty. You've got a group of people that are saying, we'll win if we get more on our side than they got on their side. Where are the statesmen that say, let's come together. Let's figure out what we got in common rather than what we don't have in common. Yeah, old boy, it's going to be fun this morning. I drank me my Wheaties this morning. I'll be all right. And Gideon says, this is Gideon's boy, Abimelech says, this is what we're going to do. We're going to kill my brothers. He murders in one movement, 70 of his family members. Can you imagine what that was like in Israel? Can you imagine what was said this first instance of mass violence? 
Can you imagine the depression that settled in? Can you imagine the anxiety that settled in? Can you imagine the problems that settled in? Can you imagine the fear that's the heaviness that came over the people of God? It's kind of like the heaviness right now that we're feeling in our world when another day brings another shooting, another day brings another act of mass violence, another day brings another situation, another day brings another news article, another day brings another person that's got to be lowered down into the grave and you've got shootings and you got stabbings and you got wrecks and you got problems and you got assassinations and you got everything all around. You say, what are you talking about? What does this story have to do with that? This story teaches me three things about mass violence. Write them down. Number one, it teaches me mass violence isn't new. It didn't start when guns were created. And, and, and for those liberals that don't know how to read a book, unless it's the book they know how to read and like to read, you do understand guns weren't made in the 1970s when mass shootings really pumped up in America. The first gun ever made was made in the year 1354, the first firearm ever shot. But isn't it amazing? We went 600 years with no real problems with guns. But now all of a sudden, here's what I'm telling you. Mass violence, it ain't new. It was in the Bible when Cain killed Abel. It was back in the Scripture when a Abimelech killed his brethren. It was all the way back as far as you can go. You say, how do you know that it preceded guns? You see, guns were created in the 1300s. Therefore, if mass violence started in the 1300s, then maybe we could say it was about guns. Let me give you these things that happened before 1300. In 88 BC in the kingdom of Pontus, the Asiatic Vespers killed 80,000 Roman citizens in Asia Minor. In 627 AD, Muhammad and his followers attacked Banu Karaza and this is the reason they said because Gabriel told them so in a dream killed 900 males in that village in the year 782 AD Charlemagne executed 4,500 Saxons with a sword in the year 1096 in Rhineland Germany mobs of French and German people murdered 12,000 Jews in one evening you know why because it is does not have anything to do with the time period that you're in. It has everything to do with the human heart that is ruling during that time. It's not a new thing. Number two, you can't control it by law. You know how I know? You know how many verses are in the Old Testament about taking the life of your brethren? Let me read some of them to you. In Genesis chapter number 9, verse number 6 and 7, the Bible says, Whoso sheddeth man's blood, by man shall his blood be shed. Exodus 20, verse number 13, Thou shalt not kill. Leviticus 24, 17, He that killeth any man shall surely be put to death. But if we'll create a law, it'll stop people from killing each other. It sure didn't work back then. It sure ain't working right now. You know why? Because you cannot put on paper something that will control the human heart. And when a human heart is controlling, a hate-filled heart is controlling a hate-filled hand, it doesn't matter if you got a gun, a knife, a beer bottle. It does not matter what you have in the hand if the heart is wicked. You know why politicians want to dress hate-filled hearts? Because they have hate-filled hearts. You can't control it by law. You put every law in place. Japan has the strictest gun laws in the world. And when you take all the guns, guess what somebody will do? They're going to get on the Internet and figure out how to build one. It can't be controlled by law. 
I wish it could. Don't you wish it could? Sure. I'd outlaw that everybody had to live in a plastic bubble and keep germs away from me, but it don't work that way. You know why? You can't control the heart with a piece of paper. Here's the third thing you need to understand what this story teaches me. It teaches me it can be changed. You know, there'll be people all over that are going to give one answer. There's going to be somebody on this side that says, this is what we need to do. There's going to be somebody on that side that says, this is what we need to do. The Democrats will be on the, the talking shows this morning saying, take all the guns. The Republicans will be on the other side saying, leave all the guns. You'll have the NRA saying one thing. You'll have somebody else saying another thing. And then you'll go to the house of God this morning and nobody will address the fact that our world is in shambles. Where are the people of God and the men of God and the preachers of God that stand up put the book of God in their hand and say there is a way that is right unto man but the end thereof are the ways of death but there is a God in heaven and God has every answer for every problem that man has every problem that man has God has the answer. You say, how do you know? You realize right now in that moment in Judges chapter number 9 70 brethren are killed like that. But Then all of a sudden David stands up probably 200 years later and it doesn't happen again. You know why? It can be changed. I hate to tell politicians this will put most of them out of business. It's to put most doctors out of business. It's to put most people that are in, in government psychiatry and in psychology. This would put a lot of preachers and counselors out of business. God has every answer. If you'll just walk in the ways of God, if you'll just follow the ways of God, if you'll just read your Bible, follow that Bible, be doers of the word and not hearers only, it'll take care of a lot of our health trouble. It'll take care of a lot of our mind trouble. It'll take care of a lot of our heart trouble. It'll take care of a lot of our government trouble. It'll take care of a lot of trouble if we'll just follow God. And I know what somebody's going to say right now, so let me go ahead and address it. You'll say, well, wait a second. So-and-so went to church and they still acted like such-and-such. Just because so-and-so went to church don't make them a Christian. A Christian is not a noun, it's a verb. You see, a noun is a title, a verb is an action. I'm not a Christian in noun, I'm a Christian in verb. It's not what I am, it's what I do. I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. I walk in the ways of Jesus Christ. I follow the teachings of Jesus Christ. I live the way Jesus Christ wants me to live. And when Christianity becomes a verb in your life and not a noun, that's when you'll start being like Jesus Christ. Now, here's what I'm going to say. Four things from this story. What is God's solution for? What is the answer for mass violence? What is the answer for mass shootings? What is the answer? I'm going to give you four things right from this story. Number one, the first thing we're going to have to do is there's going to have to be a new exposure to life and purpose. You see, here's what happened back in the book of Judges chapter number 8. If you look at the last verse of this of chapter number, or verse number 34, excuse me, of chapter number 8, there's a crazy phrase that's mentioned. And the children of Israel remembered not the Lord God. You realize the, the word L-O-R-D, Lord, capitalized L-O-R-D, the covenant name of Jehovah, that phrase L-O-R-D, Lord, is mentioned 150 times in the book of Judges. It's mentioned in every single chapter except one. Guess what chapter that is? Chapter 9. When Abimelech 
takes life. You know why he took life? He did not respect life. He did not value life. You know why? Because down yonder at his house, it wasn't taught that God had birthed him for a purpose. It wasn't taught down at his house that even though it may not have worked out the way he wanted it to work out, there was still a reason that God had allowed him to be in that. But they did not remember the Lord God of their fathers. Brothers and sisters, I know this is this a cliche that everybody says, but it is as true as it can be. You cannot take out of a human being's life purpose and life and hope and grace and the fact that there is a creator in heaven and tell them you're just the spawn of a monkey. You're just the offshoot of a tadpole. Life has no purpose. Life has no meaning. Life has no structure. Life has nothing about it. When you die, you're going to be gone. You're going to be dead. You're going to go back to the puddle of ooze. You know what you've done? You've taken the energy out. The creator has gone out. Hear me now. I've got gas in my car. I've got everything in that car that needs gas in it that has to operate by gas. I can have the engine right, the transmission right, the tires right, the brakes right. I can have everything right. But if I take that which puts fire in the engine, the gasoline, I've got nothing that I need. You can have all the money you want. You can have all the education you want. You can have all the cars you want. You can have everything you want. But when our kids in school, from the time they're little babies, and they get raised all the way up into college, and then go to college and find some dead Beat good for nothing, low life, liberal scoundrel that wouldn't know God if he slapped them in the face. Tell them that they're nothing more than just a number in a catalog. They're nothing more. I'll tell you what you are. You are the creation of an almighty God made in the image of an almighty God. Purpose filled. And Christ died for you. You're not just a puddle of ooze. You are a person made for a purpose in the eyes of God. And you know how I know that? Because the devil's done everything he can to roadblock you. He's done everything he can to wreck you. He's done everything he can to tear your nerves up, tear your life up, tear your family up, tear your everything up. But the good God of eternity and says, I am the giver of life and I am the creator of life. If we want to see a revival of truth in America, you better start telling kids there is a God in heaven. Now, time out now. Time out. I ain't really worried about what they're doing at the White House. I'm more concerned about what we're doing down at the church house. You know what bothers me most about churches? They're filled with Christian atheists. You know what that is? That's somebody who operates as if there is no God. Oh, I believe there's a God. Yeah. Then why do we allow and not tell what God really is in our life? When was the last time you spoke of God and didn't add a cuss word on the end of it? When was the last time to your kids that you looked at your child and said, Honey, I know you're broken right now, but let's pray. You say, I feel awkward. It's even going to be more awkward when they're behind a glass that's in the other side of a prison and you're trying to talk through a phone and everything is recorded in that thing. You're going to feel real awkward that way. Here's what the devil's trying to do. He's trying to take the joy and the peace and the tranquility out of the fact that God made them. Look at your kids in the eyeball and tell them God. God is God. You're going to have to re-expose people to life and purpose. You know why I don't take a gun and shoot up a school? Because I don't want to go to jail. I don't want to die. You know why I don't want to die? I love life. I've been taught there's a purpose to my life.
And I don't want to wreck. But when a kid just thinks he's nothing more than a grown-up tadpole, you say, they, they, they don't, they, 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 come on, come on. You can't keep your thumb on a child's heart all his life and beat them down and not expect them to stay on the dirt. It doesn't. What are we doing? No, what are we doing? What are we, I, I, I'm so amazed. I go into churches. I go into churches. And I preach these revivals. I go in these churches. These pastors say, how'd y'all get all that? Why you, how you do all that for your kids? You know what I say? We pay for it. Well, why do you pay for it? Because I want my kids to know there's a God in heaven. That's why I would pay for it. Why do you pay to send kids to camp? Because I realize for one week of their life, I may not be able to help them 51 other weeks of their life, but if I can help them one week out of their life, know that there is a God in heaven and that there's hope and grace and peace and mercy and truth, then I'm going to do everything in my power. That's why we invest. That's why we pump. That's why we prime. That's why we worship. That's why we do what we do. I'm doing everything I can to expose a generation to life and purpose. I wonder what would have happened. If Gideon had looked Abimelech in the eye and said, Son, listen, I messed up. I messed up not doing your mama right. I I didn't operate right with your mama, but son, listen. God still has a plan for your life. And I know it don't make sense in the the, the mesh and the muck and all of this with all your brothers and, and all your sisters, but son, there's a reason why God put you here. I wonder if the seed had been planted and he had trained up a child in the way he should go, that when he was old, it would not depart from him. Number two, you've got to expose them to life and peace or life and purpose. Number two, you know what else you're going to have to do? You're going to have to cut off their exposure from death and violence. You say, where do you get that? Well, if you look back in verse number, in chapter number 8, verse number 33, watch what the Bible says. Chapter 8, verse number 33, And it came to pass, as soon as Gideon was dead, that the children of Israel turned again and went a-whoring after Balaam and made Baal Berith their God. Do you know what Baal Berith was? He was the Lord, they called him the Lord of the flies. You know what he was? He was a fly. And Israel had gotten so obsessed, they had made images to flies everywhere. And instead of worshiping the God that did it all, they bowed down to a fly. And I got to thinking, that's so stupid. And the Holy Ghost said, what are flies attracted to? Waste and death. You see, everywhere they went, this God of death was there. This God of waste was there. This God of violence was everywhere. Why wouldn't Abimelech kill his brethren and let their bodies rot on the side of the street? Now, I'm just going to go ahead and help somebody. Can I help some? Let me talk to the old people right quick because you ain't got no idea. Old people right now, the only thing you've ever known is at 6 o'clock after, after Walter Cronkite went off the news, the TV shut off. You know what TV remotes were back in your day? You. 
Can I tell you what your 9 and 10-year-olds get to look at now? Violence like you ain't never seen. Video games, movies, internet, all these things, and they're daily inundated with this violence. And man, we'll take them to go see movies that we and you and I, my mama would have beat the ever-loving fire out of me if I'd have snuck in. There are people in this church that took them to it. There are people in this world that expose these kids' minds. And listen... You can't pour sand in an engine and not expect it to seize up. I got a friend right now. He's got a little brother. Went to Afghanistan. Back in one of the tours in Afghanistan, he went and he, he went over there. He stayed over there. I think it was nine months he stayed in Afghanistan. When he was over there, he came home and they were already prepared. They were already prepared for the things that, that he was going to have to deal with and all the PTSD and all the stuff that they were going to have to deal with. When he got back, they sat down at dinner. They said he smiled, was laughing, was happy. And he, they, 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 they said, okay, well, maybe, maybe he's kindly suppressing it. And so daddy and brother took the boy and took him off the side. This boy's 20 years old, all right, 20 years old. Took him to the side and said, son, is everything okay? Tell us, what was it like over there? They said he started going through what they would do in war and how they would go into Villages and have to just destroy the entire village. And you know, their heart was breaking because they knew as a soldier he had to do those things to keep himself safe. But they were just waiting on him to crumble. They said he started laughing. And they said, Why are you laughing? You know what he said? Daddy, it was just like the video games. You can't expose a child to death and violence day in and day out. And here is something that I had never thought about until I reread it in my Bible, a note that I had made. They were so obsessed. Israel was so obsessed with the God of the flies. You know what they would do? They would carve out an image of him and they would keep it in their pocket and they would walk around with death in their pocket. I'd like to know what is that little nine-inch silver screen thing that we give our kids in their pockets? It's the Lord of death. Now, I'm not, listen, I'm not up here telling you, you know, take your kid's phone and spend, don't, don't be a fool now, come on. But at some point, some mama and daddy are going to have to draw some boundaries and say, listen, honey, this is not a bad thing, but don't go to that side of the fence. Listen, there ain't nothing wrong with the youngins looking at an iPad. There ain't nothing wrong with the youngins looking at a cell phone. There ain't nothing wrong. God only knows I give mine cell phones when I go sit down at a restaurant because I can't take no more. And I mean, there ain't nothing wrong with them playing little games. But at some point, somebody has got to say, uh-uh, that cross is the line. I don't want your little eyes exposed to that. I don't want your mind exposed to that. And somebody might say, well, it's going to be, they're going to get mad at me. Let them throw a fit, honey, and they'll be fine after they get over it. I've seen enough fits thrown in my day. My sister threw more fits in her lifetime than you ever wanted to see. Say amen right there, girl. Here's what I'm telling you. I'm trying to explain. Sticks and stones may break your bones, but their words can't do a hill of beans to you. 
Somebody in the house of God, somebody in America needs to have a, as for me in my house, we will serve the Lord moment. You ain't doing that mess. You're not living that way. Listen, I got a teenage boy. I got a boy that's almost a teenager. He'll be 12 years old to, in just a couple of months. It's, uh, it's unfathomable to me. But listen, I am going to have to have that moment where my son says, but daddy, my friends are doing it. Daddy, my friends are doing it. My, my friends. And it's not going to be popular. It's not going to be fun. We're probably not going to hold hands and skip rocks down at the pond. But when I stand before the God of heaven at the judgment seat of Christ to give an account for my family, I don't want God saying, why did you open his eyes to those things? You know what I have just decided? That woman and them kids can do what they want to do. But as for me, I will serve the Lord. And I can say all day, as for me and my house, but I can't make my house. But as for me, I, it ain't happening. It ain't, it ain't happening. It, I, it ain't doing, listen, what are we doing to a generation of children? What are we doing? We're exposing them to death. And when death becomes normal, don't be surprised when they normalize what brings death. Number three, in this story, you know what else God said is an answer? There must be a reestablishment of the social authority structure. Can I show you something in verse number 35 of chapter 8? Chapter 8, verse number 35 the Bible says, Neither showed they kindness to the house of Gideon, name, or Jerubel, namely Gideon. They didn't show kindness to the house of Gideon. They didn't show kindness to the house of Gideon. You mean the man that delivered them from the enemy? They didn't show kindness? What does it mean not to show kindness? They did not give him due respect. You see what they did? They looked at Gideon when they needed him. But when they didn't need him, they treated him just like anybody else over there. They treat them like a pile of junk. I get in, get out of here. You, ain't got to, you know what we're doing right now to our kids? We don't understand why they don't follow authority. You know what we've done? We have ripped the authority structure right out of our nation. I, in my wildest dreams, would have never, never spoken to a police officer the way I see these people on TV referring to police officers. You know why? I didn't want to go to prison. And if my mama found out that I talked to him like that, Billy clubbed my foot. You say, well, it's just a police officer. It's not just a police officer. It's what they represent. Time out. Time out. Time out. Gideon. No, that's the judge, Gideon. Gideon, get out of the way. You mean the man that just delivered you? Just delivered you from the Midianites? You push him out of the way? How many of you old timers can remember a day when if you didn't call an older person Mr. or Mrs., you'd have walked away with some teeth on the flow? Listen, it's not about abuse. You know what that was all about? Your mama and your daddy wanted you to respect authority. I cannot tell you how many people in revivals, I'm talking to the pastor and a child will slide right in the middle of us and say, excuse me, Dwayne, do you know what my mother would have done? 
And then the mamas will say something like this. Hey, he's talking to you. It's not about the action. It's the fact that we are not putting authority. Listen, I don't care if Biden's in office or Trump's in office. I can never imagine referring to Bush as Bush. President Bush. President Biden. President. Now, yeah, I can chape you. Listen to me. I'm eating with the same woman at lunch whether you get mad or not. Here's what I am telling you. It's not about the person. It's about the authority of the office. Listen, beloved. We're doing it to preachers. We're doing it to deacons. I can never imagine walking up at my church and calling the piano player who was 80 years old by her first name. Because we had so been instructed to respect authority. And when you rip authority structures out of a child's mind, there's nothing to keep them in the fence. This isn't about a... You know what I'm talking... And you know I'm telling the truth. What would have happened... What would if you say, where do you get that? Let me show you a verse. Can I just show you a verse right here? If you'll look in chapter number eight and verse number 35. Neither showed they kindness to the house of Jeroboam. You know what that was? Jeroboam was the name he would have gotten at the local idol temple. He wasn't an idol worshiper. Why would they call him that? It wasn't just how they treated him. Now I want you to flip over, if you will, to chapter 9, verse number 2 of chapter of the book of Judges. Whenever Abimelech, it wasn't just about how they treated authority. It was how they treated each other. Look, if you will, at chapter 9, verse number 2. Speak, Abimelech says, I pray you in the ears of all the men of Shechem, whether it is better for you, either that, watch this phrase, all the sons of Jeroboam. The sons of Jeroboam? They weren't the sons of Jeroboam. They were his brothers. He had started viewing them as lesser people. Listen, do you know how you can walk into a school and shoot up everything and go into a mall and shoot up everything when you stop viewing other people on the same level and on the same plane as you? You know how people can enslave black people? It's when you start looking at them as nothing more than just a piece of junk that I can put in chains. You know how people can look at white people and say, oh, you're the real problem. You know what that is? That's when you and I start viewing other people as what they really are. You know why we don't treat each other like trash? Not because you don't disagree with me and I don't disagree with you. You are my brother and you are my sister and you are a part of the family of God. And that's been driven. Listen to me now. I believe this fourth one was the worst one of them all. And if we don't reestablish this, we're not going to have any hope. You say, what's the answer? Number four. After you do all of those three things, number four, if we don't reestablish the family structure in America, we're done. We're done. You say, what are you talking about? Well, if you look back in verse number 18 of chapter 9, if you'll look over in chapter 9, verse number 18, watch this. And ye are risen up against my father's house this day, 
and have slain his sons, threescore and ten persons, upon one stone, and have made Abimelech the son of the maidservant. Do you see how they talked to him? They called him the son of the slave. That's their brother. That's their brother. You know what that is? That's a dysfunctional home is what that is. You know, I am, I am absolutely and utterly amazed at the breakdown of our culture in a family structure. Listen, I wonder how many times that, that, that Gideon looked at Abimelech and said, Son, I know that you don't have the same mama, but we're still all family. When a child doesn't feel like they belong, don't be, don't be upset when they do something that you can't change. In the head and in the heart, there is something that your creator put there. You know what it is? Everybody longs for a stable mama and a stable daddy. That is what is in the human heart. There are people here right now, and you didn't have that growing up. And whenever you'll talk to people, you'll always say, now I didn't have it. I wished I had it. You know why? Because it's ingrained. I did something yesterday. I probably, I don't know why I did it. Holy Ghost, I don't know. I got to looking in America. When were the murder rates in America at their peak? They're not now. It's the uh, murder rates are half of the peak of what they used to be. Do you know when the murder rates were highest in America, according to the FBI statistics? From 1970 to the mid-1990s. So I took that graph on this side, and I said, okay. And something in the back of my head, the Holy Ghost began to prod me and said, look at the divorce rates. According to the State Department, wherever these statistics come from in the government, if you took the murder rates in America at their height, 1970 to 1994, do you know when the highest rate of divorce was in America? 1970 to 1994. You say, what is that all about? I'll tell you what it's all about. It's all about a child finds their meaning. They find their stability. They find their purpose. They find their direction in a stable home. When the world all around them is rocking, when they got a mama and a daddy that love them, a mother and a father that take care of them, a mother and a father that bring them stability, that is the anchor for their life that's being tossed about on the seas. Now listen, you realize the divorce rates went down in 1994? but now violent crimes begins to rise? What happened in 1994? From the mid-90s into the 2000s, here's what you had. You had people that weren't being divorced. You know why? They weren't getting married. They started living together. And then they'd break up and they'd get back together and so on and so forth. Here's what I'm getting at. The family is the fabric of a culture. Family is the fabric of the culture. 
I wonder what would have happened if Abimelech would have been told by his daddy, Gideon, Gideon, told Abimelech, son, you belong to me. You matter to me. You're important to me. You are, you are valued. I know everybody else may not value, but son, I value. You matter to me. I wonder what would have happened if Gideon, instead of trying to win politicians and win political offices, if he'd have just taken old Abimelech down to the fishing pond and said, son, let's just sit down here today. It's just going to be me and you, and we're going to do a little fishing today. I wonder what would have happened if Abimelech would have gone to, uh, or Gideon would have gone to Abimelech's mama and said, honey, listen, I'm going to marry you. I'm going to treat you right. You're going to have the rights of a wife. You're going to have the rights of somebody that belongs because you matter. Ladies and gentlemen, it would have made a world of difference in the life of Abimelech. What would happen today if moms and dads would step up in America and say, the iPad isn't going to raise my youngins anymore, and the TV ain't going to raise my youngins anymore and the video games aren't going to raise my youngins anymore. We're going to go down to the dinner table and we're going to have technology. You want to see children have a heart attack? You tell them at dinner time, it's technology free time. Man, I do it to my kids. I've actually watched my son and my daughter cry over technology free time. And they sit there I mean just, am I lying baby? Stewing. As for me and my house, I ain't stopping. When I find out you may be mad at me, I'm going to poke and prod till you smile or leave and don't bother me. And I'll say, Mason, Ella, your bottom lip's poked out. <laughs> Ella, Mason, your teeth are showing. <laughs> Ella, you look like an old person with dentures. And she'll start laughing. And within two or three minutes, it's gotten normal. What would happen if a daddy in this room right here, because I can't control the world out there, but I'm trying to talk to you right here. If a daddy said, you know what, I don't need that extra three or four hours of overtime, that boat or that new truck or that new this or that new that. It's not nearly as important as taking my son fishing. It's not nearly as important as doing this over here. What would happen if we started reestablishing the family structure? What would happen if that single mom who says, you know what, I did do this or this did happen to me back there. But as for me and my house, I'm going to do the very best I can do right now. Stop living in yesterday's regret. Stop living and start saying, oh, God, I don't have a man in my life. And instead of trying to shop one with every Tom, Dick, and Harry, make me the dad and the mom that this boy or this girl needs. God, I'm not looking for them out in the world. I'm going to let you be our God. I'm going to let you be our Savior. I'm going to let you be our guide if you'll start reestablishing the family structure. You know, I have never, Scott, I have never in my life, and me and you have done a lot of funerals together. I've gone to a lot of hospitals with people dying. I've never one time, and I don't know how many, I, hundreds, I don't have any idea, in my 18 years of doing this, I've never one time had anybody say, man, I wish I just... Made a little more money. I wish I'd kicked in that overtime just a little bit more. But I can't tell you the multitudes that say, I wish my family. I wish me and my son. I wish me and my daughter. 
I wish I could change. And here's what I'm telling you. You can. You say they won't call me. Then they would have to ignore my phone call from now till Jesus came back. And if they take out a restraining order, then the judge, I'll look the judge in the eyeball and say, Honey, you can put that paper in front of my face, but until Jesus comes back, I'm going to love my youngin'. And if I go to prison, I'll just be a hero in prison. I'll get a tattoo, and I'll join whatever part of the, ga- the, part of the prison I got to join. But I'm telling you, as for me and for my house, I am not going to let the devil enter my house because I'm busy doing everything else and not focused on my family. Did y'all see this shooting Monday? Fourth of July, Highland Park, north of Chicago. This shooting is not even a week old. And I got to thinking, what would possess this, this kid? What would, what would so enter the heart of this child to do this? And within five days, do you know what they're finding? I'm going to put an article up. Do you know what they're finding? They're finding that his home was a war zone. His father abused him. His mother abused him. And they're finding as they're interrogating this boy that his mind was in a thousand pieces. My life will be over one day and the news and the the records will be written. I promise you this. All this alternative lifestyle stuff that you're seeing, I promise you, It is going to reap consequences upon children and generations to come like we have never seen. Where's a mom and a daddy in here that says, you know what, as for me and my house, this is what I'm doing. As for me, you say, will it fix it? No, it won't fix it quickly, but it'll fix it. It'll do it. It ain't going to be popular. It ain't going to be fun. But you don't, we don't have to have any more Abimelech stories. We, we, we don't have to have any more of these. We don't have to have any more of this. Listen, I, I can't fix it in Washington, but I can tell you what I can do. I can fix it at my house. You can fix it at your house. All this anger we've got built up, all this, this stuff we got pent up inside of us is tearing our nerve and just our homes. Listen, I, I, I pray every day, and I want to pray this more heartedly than I've ever prayed it. God, if the world around me is a war zone, let my house be filled with peace. Let my kids find solace at my house. Listen, there's grandparents in this room right now. Your kids are as sorry and useless, but you got grandkids. Man, my grandmother and grandfather here today, it was solace when we could go to their house. It was like a, it was like a vacation to me and my cousins. You know what that is? That's the peace of God. Mom and daddy, somebody needs to get on an altar and say, God, please. That's for me and my house. That's not just what you cut out. It's what you ask God to put in. It's not just about cutting off this and cutting off that. It's about saying, the Lord, bring in peace. Bring in power. Bring in grace. Listen to me now. God has an answer for these mass shootings. But it's going to have to start at the house of God.